Hey, welcome to chapel today. Uh, this semester, we're going to look at characteristics of God. Um, I was teaching our learning and transitions class on Monday, and I was just thinking about how important it is that we have a personal God, a personable and knowable God. And so this semester, we invite you to, to step into that journey with us as we, as we look at a knowable and personal God. Uh, we're going to start today and every week with the Apostles' Creed. We'd like you to, to, to stand up. If you could join us uh, in your rooms, please stand up. We're going to say this together. And again, if you are, are, do not consider yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, you don't need to say these statements that, that we uh, hold true. But this statement is from the very beginning of, of Christianity. So let's read it together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. morning. We now turn to our time of prayer, in which we pray for the concerns of our community. We also give praise to God, and we also turn our hearts to him so that we might conform our own desires and will to what he desires for us. And so I want to begin this morning by reading to you from Psalm 101. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Lord, you are holy. And we were reminded of that last week about your holiness, how you are set apart, how you are worthy of our awe and our worship. And so, Heavenly Father, this morning we lift our eyes and our hearts to you and we ask you to teach us of your holiness. Help us to understand how grand you are, how great you are, how majestic you are, how magnificent you are, how beautiful you are. Help us to see in the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior, our brother and our friend. Help us to understand the goodness that you have in store for us, 
Help us to hope in the promises that you have made to us. And help us to rejoice that we serve a good God, a God who is so holy and perfect and yet wants to know us and loves us and desires for us to be with him forever. Heavenly Father, your holiness reminds us of the difficulty and the suffering of the world. And so we ask, Lord, today, when will you come to us? When will you come with your hand to assist us in our difficulty? When will you come and cleanse the land of the sickness that haunts us all? When will you come, Lord, into our hearts and turn our eyes towards you so that we can hope in the things that will be renewed, in the things that will be restored? Jesus, we ask you to come into our hearts today so that we might be encouraged and refreshed by your words of comfort. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are ill, who truly are sick and are isolated and separated from us, continuing in their study or recovering from their sickness. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them. We pray for those who have recently lost loved ones. We pray for their sorrow and for their sadness. We ask, Lord, that you would raise up people around them to comfort and encourage them. Lord, we pray for those who are unsure about whether or not they can complete the work that college poses for them. We pray, Lord, that you would give them strength, that you would give them courage, and that you would give them friendship. Lord, we pray for those who are confused or unsure of mind, who are anxious or are troubled by different thoughts. We pray, Lord, that you would give them your spirit of peace, that you would be with them each day, beside them, near to them, helping them, and encouraging them. Lord, we pray for the coming situation in our country in which we must elect a new president. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us all, that we would have a peace of mind, and that in our sight of you, we would not worry greatly about the outcome, because we know, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. But also, Lord, that we would not neglect our responsibility and the obligation that's placed upon us. Lord, help us to work together for you and for this country that you've given to us, that we would work with each other to build a peace, a peaceful and just place for people to live. Help us to be diligent and thoughtful in our work, and help us to always do what is right in your eyes rather than in our own. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And now, Lord, we pray together that prayer which your Son taught us to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. John three thirteen through 9. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So the beginning and the end of Psalm 102 uh, both describe and lament a season of real, real, real suffering. Uh, it's a long psalm. We'll read the centerpiece of the psalm. It extols who God is and how it is he saves. And we'll see the greatness of the name of the Lord. As we read, I would invite you to stand with me as we read the psalm together. Let's read from Psalm 102 together. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, uh, and and uh, whether uh, you're right here with me or at some distance, uh, it's good to be together on Wednesday. Uh, getting over the hump this week, another week uh, that we're going to get through together, and what a privilege it is for us to gather as a community and to meditate 
just for a few minutes on the Lord. And we're going to do that. Um, and what I'd like to do is talk with you for a couple of minutes about a few things, and then we'll read the scripture together, and we'll make a few observations about the scripture uh, that we'll be looking at today. Dr. Ward and I teach a class in interpersonal communication, and one of our favorite days in that class is what we call Gender Communication Workshop. And on Gender Communication Workshop today, the women in the class are allowed to give us questions to ask the men about how they communicate, and in some cases how they don't communicate. Questions like, what does it mean when I send a long text and I get a one-word text in response? Uh, and, <clears throat> and there are questions like, um, why is it so hard for men to show their emotions? Okay. But we also get questions from the men asking questions of the women. And one of my favorite questions that comes up periodically uh, is men young men asking young women, how can you tell when a woman is flirting with you or when it's something more? How can you tell when someone's just flirting or whether there might be real interest? And the responses are fascinating and, and uh, you know, you get different things from different people. But here are a couple of the constants. Here's how the conversation goes. So it starts out with uh, uh, a few of the more talkative people in class among the women talking with some confidence about knowing when they're flirting. And then there are some questions that are asked between the women and a lot of people start to agree that they're not always really sure when they're flirting, but they're sure when they're watching other women about whether they're flirting or not. They can tell when another woman is flirting with a guy for sure. Now, one of the great things about this question is flirting is a relatively trivial thing. It doesn't matter that much, but we all know that flirting can move into creeping on social media, right? And it might actually lead to a meeting that might have some significance. And then there might get to the point where there are different kinds of knowing, right? So, so you know someone, but do you really know them? Right? And you can't really know someone by looking on social media. And you can't necessarily know someone just by hanging out for a little while. I'm still getting to know Mrs. Trump. So really knowing someone. And when we talk about knowing God, that's the kind of knowing we want to get to. So no matter whether you know God and have known God or whether you're not sure you do or whether you know you don't know God, the kind of knowing God that we want to think about together is that depth of knowledge and how do we get there and it's personal knowledge, not knowing about God. So 
In a number of classes that we take at Geneva, we can learn a lot of things about God, and that's a good kind of knowledge to have, but that's not the kind of knowledge we're concerned about in chapel this year. We want personal knowledge. And so I want to ask you a personal question, and it goes something like this. Can you ask God to make himself known to you. Is that something you can do? Can a human being ask God to make himself known? And then let me ask you a more personal question. Have you ever asked God to make himself known to you personally? That you might know his presence with you personally. And I'm here to confess to you today that I have asked God to do that. And I have asked God on a number of occasions. And there are times when I have needed God to make himself known to me and for his presence to be known to me. And he has answered that prayer. Not with visions, not with voices like you'd hear in a movie, but with a deep sense of his presence. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to know that wherever you are in the world, under whatever circumstances you're in, God is the living being, and he is personal and we're going to see how he reveals himself that way. And if you have a sense that you need God, ask him. Speak with him. And he will reveal himself to you. That's the kind of God he is. Now what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at a case when a human being by the name of Moses needed God to reveal himself in a new way. Moses had been walking with God, had actually heard God speak out of the burning bush. He had talked to God face to face in the past, and now he asked God again to reveal himself. The backstory is you know the story about Moses going up on Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments. And he goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments. And while he's there, the Israelites are having a party. A serious party. A party that involved what we might call in chapel revelry. All kinds of things that were breaking the commandments that God was giving Moses and those commandments, those stone tablets, got broken. And many people in Israel died as God brought justice to his own people. And now Moses is in distress. He doesn't know what to do. Because God has talked to him about going back up the mountain, getting new tablets, renewing the covenant, getting, taking new tablets with him. 
and going up the mountain. And in this context, Moses asks God, he says, who are you? Who are you? Show me your glory. Tell me your name. And so we're in the midst, as we come to our scripture text today, we're in the midst of a personal conversation between God and Moses. And the conversation starts at the tent of meeting in the midst of the people, and God is talking to Moses, and we join the conversation. So this is a personal conversation between God and Moses, and we're listening in this morning. And so let's read this together. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. This is an early morning appointment, by the way. This is get up at the crack of dawn, maybe even before the sun comes up, climb the mountain, okay? No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This ends the reading and the hearing of God's most holy, inerrant, and infallible word. So I have a couple observations that I want to share with you today from this scripture. And the first is that the name of God is given to us by God. If someone were to ask you, what are you like? You could respond. And by the time you get to Geneva College, you have a lot of accomplishments that you have done in your life. You could talk about your accomplishments. You could talk about where you're from. You could talk about what you like 
or what you don't like. There are a lot of ways you could introduce yourself. And if you know, um, if, you've, if you've read much about the Bible, you know that theologians have a heyday with this. What is God like? And they have lists of the attributes of God, long lists, and they're accurate lists. They come right out of the scripture, all kinds of things that could be said. And so when God introduces himself personally to us, not somebody else's work, in his own voice, we want to pay really close attention. We want to pay really close attention. If I asked you to introduce yourself in such a way that someone you were introducing yourself to would get insight into your soul, into your character, into who you really are, If you think about that for a minute, you'll start to understand what God is telling us when he tells us his name. And I don't ever want you to forget this. The Lord, talking to Moses, who has called his friend, leads with love. The Lord tells us his name, and he leads with love. And he leads with expansive love. And he leads with the kind of love we need most. He says, the Lord, the Lord. Now this is emphasis in many different ways in Hebrews, and one of the kinds of emphasis it means is, I am your close companion. I am, your, I am known to you personally. It's very personal kind of address. And then he says, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, trustworthiness, loyalty, unchangingness. This is what you want when you think about love. This is what you already want love to be. You, we want love that doesn't end. We want love that's completely trustworthy. We want to be loved in a way that's merciful and gracious towards us. That is what we want. And God names himself first and foremost this. And then he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And you might think, hey, wait a second. Like, look at the text. He says, keeping am I part of that thousands? Thousands? That doesn't sound like very much. I'd like it to be millions or billions or numbers that I can't even say. I'm here with some engineers, I think. I don't know. We've got, we've got, we've got people in here that can do math, right? You know Google as a number, right? The, something big, right? We want more than thousands. But, but, but to understand the text at this point, we need to think about it. This is often translated 
uh, guarding steadfast love for a thousand generations. That's a lot of people. A thousand generations is a lot of people. So the Lord leads with love. And how do you know this is the name in a deep way? Well, when you listen to other passages in Scripture, when you hear things, when we look at the Psalms, when you listen to John 1 describing the Lord Jesus Christ, when you hear the whole of the Scripture, you hear this over and over again. These are refrains, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and and faithfulness. Grace and mercy. Mercy and grace. God is merciful. Grace upon grace. God's mercies are new every morning. This is who God is. And this is how he introduces us to ourselves. And then, the second observation in the name is forgiveness. Do you, have you ever heard someone say, well, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Because the God of the Old Testament is vindictive and violent. Really? This is Exodus. God is introducing us to his name. Starts with love. In his name is forgiveness. At the center of who he is. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now you might ask, and you should ask, well, what's the difference? Like sin is sin, right? Iniquity and transgression and sin, but what we're hearing is this is a full-spectrum forgiveness. God is not forgiving just some people. You've got to be in the right category. Or just some sins. You've got to be in the right category. You've got to be in the right place to get forgiven by God. No. His orientation to All of humanity is forgiveness. Now, I don't know what's striking to you. I want you to think about your favorite movie, your favorite book, a show you love, and I want you to think about moments in which you hear and see real forgiveness taking place. Because drama, some of the best drama involves forgiveness. Forgiveness all often happens on deathbeds in books and movies. Someone finally is forgiven. I've mentioned this uh, uh, once earlier this fall, but um, when Mrs. Trout and I saw Hamilton on the free Disney Plus thing, you know, I got Disney Plus, saw Hamilton I had to see it a second time. And the, the moment in that show where forgiveness comes in is arresting. It's an arresting tribute to the nature of forgiveness that we all need and that we long for. And it's at the center of God's name. He says keeping steadfast love for thousands. And what does that mean? Forgiving iniquity, our iniquity, our transgression, our sin. And then the third observation. The third observation. 
who will by no means clear the guilty. And he says, in some translations, and will not let the guilty go unpunished. Now, you're college students, and you're good ones if you're here. I love our students here, because you ask good questions. You need to ask this question. What does this mean after forgiveness? What in the world... Well, how does this get into God's name after he's just talked about forgiveness? Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Let me talk to you for a minute about idols. This is the point at which we're tempted to idolatry. This is the verse we don't like. If I make up my own God, this verse doesn't make it. I've got a few options. Idolatry is not very creative. Okay? I got a few options. I got the I'm okay, you're okay option. Okay? Everybody's really intrinsically good. People make mistakes. Nobody really needs to be punished, and nobody's going to be punished. People who think people are going to be punished are just mean spirited. They don't know how good we all are. Okay, so that's the first option. It's incredibly common. People have been believing that from the beginning of time. It's not new. There's a version in every era of history. Okay, that's one option. Second option is a lot of people aren't okay, but I am. <laughs> okay, on balance, you know, on balance, I can find a lot of people that are worse than me, so I shouldn't be punished. But the poor slobs that are really bad, like Hitler, let them be punished. But I'm okay. So, so I create an idol, and and I and and uh, and I could say, well, I can work this out. There's some fancy names for this: Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism. You know, I might need some help, but then I do okay, and I get judged, and I and I come out all right. Okay. Third option. Third option is I create an idol that punishes my enemies. I am justice, and I will decide on my terms because I am brilliant and I am good about all them that need to be punished. And so I create an idol that actually understands justice better than most of the world and ends up putting people to death on my terms. That is not the God who reveals himself to us, who talked to Moses, and whose account we get to hear, and who says this over and over again to us in the Bible and in person, who we know his character, and this is who he is and what he's like. And that's why we had to read John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19. Because we can miss it, but it's in the Gospel of John describing our Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. 
God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. Good so far. But if you look at, if you look at the text, God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God is, in his name, forgiveness. God provides a way for forgiveness. He reveals the fact that we cannot earn God's forgiveness. It can never be earned. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts. We can't forgive ourselves. And so when we turn to the Lord and look to him and believe in his desire to save us and his power to save us and his commitment that he's already made to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, we will experience only God's love. But we, human beings, start with our back turned to God in rebellion against him. And so are rightly condemned, like those thousands that were put to death after the first tablets were broken. Can you hear this? Moses is trying to make sense out of what just happened after the first set of tablets were broken. And he's coming and saying, Lord, this is who you are. Save these people. And the Lord says, I will save them. This is who I am. Here is my name. Here is my glory. But we do not live in a world without God's justice. And it will be satisfied. And the Lord Jesus Christ has satisfied God's righteous justice. Christ has satisfied his own sense of justice by dying on the cross. And that's what we need. That's what we need. We have been created and designed to live in relationship with God. And his name, in his name, he declares it. Not just to Moses, but to us. So we have to receive the whole name of God. And our refuge in hearing the name of God is our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to conclude just with this. I want to invite you today to ask God to reveal himself to you in the way that you sense you need it most. And when you ask, I want to encourage you to be ready to hear what God has to say to you on his terms. He is living. 
He is the creator of all of us. He has fashioned our souls and knows us. And he will not be trifled with. He will not tell us what we want to hear. But in his love, he will reveal himself faithfully just as he has done to Moses. And he loves all of us who look to him. From now on, for the rest of your life, if you have an opportunity to introduce the one living and true God, I encourage you, either directly or in paraphrase, to make sure that no one you know who asks you about God can get away from you without knowing that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, that he keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will not let the guilty go unpunished. Amen. Praise